Lord, we just come before you. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and guide and lead us in all that we will we will see. We ask you to just bring healing to those that are in need of healing right now and that are sick within our church and that we love them and that you'll bring them back to full strength. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, Numbers 32. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw that the land of Zazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke unto Moses and Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Adaloth and Dibon and Zazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Eliahla and Shebam and Nabor and Beon, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of the Israel is a land for, the ca for cattle, and your servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in your sight, let this land be given unto your servants for a possession, and bring us not over the Jordan. So we're going to look at this. The, the leaders of Re the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad had a lot of cattle. And they come to Moses and Eliezer and they say, uh, we'd like to stay on this side of the Jordan, the east side of the Jordan River. We don't want to go into the promised land. And this is kind of a very interesting thing because God has promised them a land flowing with milk and honey with all kinds of blessings, basically representing the spiritual walk. And they tell Moses and Eliezer they want to live in the world. Okay. Now this isn't so much different from what's been going on the entire time they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Because every time the children of Israel turned around, they were going, we should go back to Egypt. Life was better in Egypt. And remember, we've, we've said that Egypt represented the world. And so here they are right on the border of the promised land. And they're telling Moses and Eliezer, we just want to live here. This is a good land. Uh, it's good for cattle, and we got lots of cattle. <laughs> they were walking by sight, not by faith. And you know, it kind of reminds me of how many times Christians will stop and just fellowship and live within the world because it looks good for where they're at. They don't want to step over with God into the land of blessing. And because remember, when they sent the spies in, even this time, they're going, yeah, it's a wonderful land. <laughs> they're afraid of us. But you know, they said basically the same thing that the first 12 spies said, except for Joshua and Caleb. You know, the people are big there. <laughs> You know, it's, a, it's a land that eats up the people. So there's a great fear for the people to cross into Jordan because it sounds like they're going to have to battle. Even though God says, I'm giving you this land, I'm going to drive the people out, don't be afraid. How often are we afraid to take the next step with God when God shows us what he wants us to do? Sometimes it's quite frequently. God says, I want you to do this, and we freeze. <laughs> because we're going, nope, I'm not going to do that, God. That's just too much. Or, what's the next thing after that, God? What are you going to tell me to do after that? And God's saying, I'm just telling you one step at a time. And here, the children of uh, 
Reuben and Gad are saying, we just want to stay here. We want to stay over here on this land. It's good. It's, it's got a lot of grass. It's got a lot of, a lot of water. It's perfect for cattle. Now, this land that they're talking about was the first land that was taken away when Egypt was con uh, when Israel was conquered at the end of the <coughs> end of the time for Israel. The 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 land beyond the the Jordan uh, the Jordan River was taken first when Jesus went to the Decalopolis and he cast out the pig the demons into the pigs. This is the land that he was in, the land of Gad and Reuben, and they were already backslidden. Even in Jesus' day, they were, were living in sin because why else would they have a, a herd of pigs in a Jewish settlement? Because you're not allowed to eat pigs, so there's no sense in having them. So they're coming to them and saying, hey, this is wonderful country. We want it for our possession or our inheritance. Okay. And basically they were saying, we don't want an inheritance in the promised land. We want this land because it looks good. And this is what I'm saying. So often we as Christians will stop and say, we refuse to go over with God into the promise. We'll say, this looks good. This land looks good. And here we see them saying the same thing. And, and as we look down through history, we see again, they were the first ones to disappear when the Assyrians came to conquer Israel. They were, they were the first one. They were having troubles even during Jesus' day, and that land is still in a questionable land in this day, because it's the Golan Heights and that whole region on the east side of the Jordan. Okay, so this land has been there. About the only time they really possessed it was when David was king. And when David was king, they, they ruled all the way from the Euphrates all the way to the Great, Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, all the way down. They had all the land that God promised them under David and under Sam, uh, Solomon. And after that, they started losing it. So we're going we're gonna to look at this. Verse 6, And Moses said unto the children of Gad and unto the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall you sit here? Wherefore, and wherefore discourage you the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land of, which God has given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them to Gadeshbarnia to see the land. And when they went up into the valley of Eshkol, they saw the land, and they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, and that they should not go up into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled at the same time, and he swore, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swore unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because you have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb, the, the son of Jephuneth, the Kenezite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So we're going to stop there. So... Moses is rightfully a little angry with them. <laughs> okay, He's saying, why should you sit here on this side of the Jordan and the other ten tribes go over into the promised land and fight for their territory? Okay, You see the, you see the problem that he's saying there? You're, you're going to discourage. We're losing, we're losing one-sixth of our fighting force mm -hmm. wanting to stay behind while we go in and conquer this land. 
And so he's chewing them out. Basically, he's chewing them out for two reasons, because it's going to discourage the others, but also that they don't want to enter the promised land. And this is something that is serious. They, they're, they're looking at this, and he's saying, you're going to discourage the people, because we're going to lose fighters. And you're not wanting to go into the promised land. And this is something we want to be careful of. When God makes a promise to us and he leads us into spiritual places, we want to be ready to listen, not walk by sight. He wants us to walk by faith. Walking by faith is a scary thing to do because you don't know whether it's right or wrong to begin with. You don't know where, where the path is going to end. And God has this habit of showing us just the next step that we're to take. That's all he's doing to them. We're going to take that next step. We're going to go into the promised land, and I'm going to drive the people out. He said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt, and I'm going to show you just a step at a time. I'm going to lead you where I want you to go. He tells, he tells Joshua later on, be courageous. I'm going to lead you, and you will be like Moses. The people will respond. Jesus in, in when Jesus was around, God showed him just the next step. Wherever he went, he, was, he, he ministered where he was at. God does this all the time. He told Abraham, get out of your land and go to the land that I will show you. And he didn't even tell him where he was going. It was just get up and get moving. <laughs> and sometimes that's all God does is say, get up and get moving. Step out to do something. People will say, well, what am I supposed to do for God? I don't know, step out and do something. What is, it, what, what is he putting on your heart? Step out and do something. If it's wrong, you'll know it pretty quick. Uh, you know, go out and start, start teaching or start door knocking or start doing a Bible study. Make sure you give it three months to six months and if, you're, if it's still not something that you're enjoying doing, then obviously it wasn't what you were called to do. Go step back and find something else to do. When I first started teaching Sunday school a long, long time ago, I didn't know that I was going to be stuck in teaching Sunday school for, for almost 30 years. Uh, you know, I just did it because it needed to be done, and I found that I enjoyed it, and God, God blessed it, and he gave me an ability to do it. We just step out and do things for him. Maybe he's calling us to teach. Maybe he's calling us to, to evangelize. Maybe he's calling us to to be prayer warriors. We don't know exactly what it is, but we need to step out and do things. All right, so in verse 7, Moses is telling them, you're going to discourage the people, and then he gets into a history lesson. This is something we see frequently in the Bible, looking back to what has happened in the past, to see what God has done, or how God has been stopped from doing things. And he says, this did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. And this is the 12, tri the 12 uh, spies that went into the land. And remember when they went into the land, they spent, I believe it was 30 days there. They went up and down the land. They, they grabbed a cluster of grapes that they put on a staff and, and carried between two people. They brought the fruit that was just so large that it was, it was a perfect blessing. Mm -hmm. And they go, the land is wonderful. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. But then they go, but. <laughs> We look like, but we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. And then they said one other thing that was very important to remember, and that's how they saw us. Now, and we've talked a long time about how we can't assign motive to people because we don't know what they're thinking, number one, and we're usually wrong. 
Because we see, as they get ready to go into to the promised land, and they meet with Rahab, they're told, the people are scared to death of you guys because we've heard what you've done, what your God did to Egypt, and what he's done to all these other countries that have stood up to you. So here they were, the, the spies were still seeing themselves as insignificant and, and not important, and yet the people said, the people were, were worried about these people, okay? Gideon, when he's getting ready to fight, the, fight the, with his 300 men against the, against the uh, I believe it was the Amalekites, but I don't remember. And God said, well, go down to the camp. And, they, and he listened to them. And he was, his heart was lightened because they were fearful of the Israelites and their God. And he went back excited. Okay, our 300 can take these guys because they're afraid. Most of the time when we step forward, people are afraid of what God can do. And they respond because there's the fear of what God can do. Because there's this knowledge that God is strong. Especially when we live in a way that God is shown and revealed. The disciples were everywhere they went. People were healed, demons cast out, people got saved. And when people start getting saved, and I mean miraculously saved where the burdens taken off of them and they start getting the joy of their salvation, people notice. Mm -hmm. They notice when that kind of stuff's happening because lives are being changed. And we see this over and over. Lives being changed grab people's attention. When you remember, if you can remember back when you got saved and your life was changed, people took notice. You know, maybe they thought you were gonna fall back down on your face again, but you know they still were noticing they were noticing that your life changed. And so it's very important that we kind of remember this. And so Moses is going into the history lesson. He goes, they saw the land and the, the spies discouraged the children of Israel from going into the promised land. And remember, that was 40 years before the event that we're at currently, or 39, give or take. Because they're right now at the end, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. So they're, they're in between that 39th and 40th year of wandering in the wilderness. And they're getting ready to go in. And he's saying, you're not going to discourage the people again. We're not, we're not going through another 40 day, years of wandering in the wilderness. Okay, and that's what he's telling them right now. And he, he says, the Lord's anger was kindled against the people because of their refusal to go into the promised land. Have you ever had God's anger kindled towards you because you haven't gone forward to do what he said to do? Most of us have at some point in our life. Maybe we didn't recognize that it was his anger at that time. But all of a sudden, everything, things were going along good, and now all the things, you said, no, I'm not doing it. And all of a sudden, bad things started happening in your life because you refused to step forward. And the one thing about God is when he gives you something to do, he's not going to give you something else to do until you do what he told you to do. So if you don't feel God moving in your life, your question really needs to be, what was the last thing that you know God told you to do? And go back and do it. Abraham left the Ur of Chaldees, made it as far as Haran, and stopped. And eventually, he went forward. And I'm sure it was part of this, well, God, I don't know where you're at, but you, you told me to get up and go, and I stopped. I must be time to get up and go. He got up and went. And God started talking to him again. We see this over and over in the lives of people in the scriptures. 
God tells them to go, and he just stops until they do what they're, what they're told to do. Jonah is a classic example. <laughs> Jonah, go, go, go preach to the Ninevites. No, God, they're our enemy. I, I mean, I want them destroyed. I'd be glad if you destroyed them. And, and he gets on a ship and goes the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. Okay, he starts heading toward Portugal uh, and running away, and God brings him back in the first submarine and a fish. <laughs> yeah, puts him in a fish and takes him back to Nineveh. And Where's the Nineveh? Nineveh's inside, uh, inside Babylon, uh, Assyrian Babylon area. And so he shows up, and if you, read, if you read his message, his message wasn't even all that good. Repent, for in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. <laughs> and I can guarantee there was no love in his heart about that repentance. It was probably joy. But repent, by the way, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days, and I just can't, I just can't wait for it to happen. <laughs> I can, I can picture that was his message. But when you come preaching and your skin is bleached white because you've just been in the stomach of a fish and, and absorbed in all that acid, you know, he did not look like a very good human being at that point. He probably kind of looked uh, very sickly. Okay. After he preaches this message, the king says, okay, we're all going to repent. He sits up on the mountain and waits for God to destroy them after they've repented. And then has an argument with God. God can use us even when we don't want to be used. He will still use us at times. The story we had just a couple chapters back, Balaam. God's saying, don't go, don't go, don't go. You know, don't go, don't go. And on the third time he says, go if they come to you in the morning and ask you. And what do we find him doing as soon as the sun is up? He's going. You know, they haven't even asked him, it's just, he's going. Mm -hmm. So he can get his reward, and God sends the angel to kill him, and then the donkey talks to him. And, you know, I've always been amazed by how he could have the donkey talk to him, and he didn't even, didn't phase him at all. He just had a conversation with the donkey. If I woke up and my dog was talking to me, I'd be a little freaked out. I don't know that I'd be heavily in a conversation with him. <laughs> uh, but it says... Surely none of the men that came out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land. And this is something that God did. And this was at Moses' request. He said, God, you cannot kill all these people because the world will say you, aren't, you weren't able to keep your promise. Okay? So God says, okay, fine. You'll wander around the desert for 40 years. Wander around just until every male that was over 20 years old, died wandering around in the wilderness. Can you imagine what that would be like? You're wandering around knowing that it's your, your, your punishment, waiting for everybody to die, and you know, if you're one of the generation that's dying out, you're watching all your buddies <laughs> dying on either side of you, hmm. knowing that you've got to wait until you, you're dead and everybody you know is dead before you get to go into the promised land, knowing that it was your disobedience that did it, because remember, when God pronounced the judgment on them, what was the first thing they did? Oh, yeah, hey, we've sinned. We're going to go to battle. And, God, and Moses says, don't go to battle. God's not with you. And they lost, they lost several thousand people going to battle without God's blessing. And this is something that's very important for us. As we walk by faith, we need to be keeping in mind following God where he is when he's there. 
To get ahead of them is not where you want to be because that's a dangerous place is to be ahead of God. You want to listen and follow him. And God is very good if we're listening of closing doors and saying, nope, this isn't the way for you to go. But by the same token, we need to kind of check him out sometimes because he's not going to put a bright neon sign saying, this is the way, go this way. We need to walk by faith. The only two men that went into the promise, that were going to be in the promised land were Caleb and and Joshua. The two spies that said, it's a great land, God will give, this, give us this land. Ten people were saying the opposite. And just want to bring this up. If you look in the Bible, most of the time when there's a majority of people agreeing with something, they're wrong. <laughs> okay? If you look in the Bible, almost every time there's a majority, the majority make bad decisions. Moses is up on the mountain. The majority go to Aaron and say, hey, you know, that man Moses has been gone a long time. Make us a, make us a god. And he did. We see the, the majority in the spies, ten people turning the heart of, pe of the people away from them. We see the Korite rebellion where the Korites and several other people come against Moses and say, hey, God can speak to us as well as you. And God swallowed them up in the land, mm -hmm. opened, it, opened up and swallowed them. So oftentimes we see the majority being wrong. When the disciples looked to replace Judas, uh, when the disciples went to replace Judas, they picked two men that they thought were going to be the next apostle. And they say, God, which of these, which of these two is the right man? The majority of 11 of them trying to pick the right man. And God says, well, neither one of them. It's Saul of Tarsus. Okay. And we tend to do this to God. God, which path should I take? This one or this one? And God's saying, no, one over there. We have to be careful that we don't sit there and try to limit God when he's speaking to us. Yeah, because God. if we give him an either or, he's going to say, I didn't, I didn't pick either one of those choices, so I can't tell you what, which way to go. We are a Southern Baptist church. Well, the, the thing that you're looking at as far as that, we as, we as Christians believe certain things. Now, I, I believe the Baptist doctrines are correct, so I will pick a Baptist church or a church with Baptist doctrines. But that does not mean there's anything really wrong with those other churches other than there's certain doctrines that they teach that I would not be in full agreement with. For instance, the Baptists believe that once you're saved, you're always saved, which is what the Bible very clearly teaches. And there's denominations out there that believe that you can lose your salvation. They will say that it's very hard to lose your salvation for the most part. And for the Baptist, we'll say the bigger question is, were they saved in the first place if they fall away? Mm -hmm. Okay. So in essence, we both believe very similar truths. But we will say that if you are saved, then you're saved. You are saved. There's nothing you can do to lose it. They will say it's difficult to lose your salvation, but you can. And I will say you never had it in the first place. Uh, because once you're in Christ's hands and you've accepted that gift, you have eternal life. Mm -hmm. By the very definition of it, eternal life is never ending. Jesus said you're in his hand and, his, and he is in the Father's hand. So you've got two people holding on to you. And if you think back, you know, when you had a little kid and you were trying to keep your kids from running off, you held their hand. And if the adult was holding a two or three-year-old's hand, truly holding their hand, they, you know, yes, they, because it's a human analogy, they could pull away. But technically the adult could hold on to their hand and if they got scared that they were going to run into the street, you would hold on to their hand for everything you've got, and you wouldn't let go of them. And you'd have that 
adrenaline rush, that you, they would not slip your hand. Well, God doesn't need the adrenaline rush. Jesus doesn't need it. He holds us, and he's not going to let go. The Father holds him, and he's not going to let go. This is a truth that's out there. And like I say, I'm not going to argue with them because I understand what they're saying. You know, if you don't live the right way, then you're, you might fall from grace according to them. And I would just say you never had it in the first place. And there's a lot of people who say a prayer saying, and believe that they're saved, and they're not. Because they don't believe that they're a sinner. They don't believe that they deserve punishment. You know, it's pretty easy to get people to believe that they're a sinner, but getting them to believe that they deserve punishment may be another story. Because they'll look around and say, well, there's so many more people that are worse than I am. Now, every time somebody looks around, it's very yeah. funny that they look around for the people who are worse than them. They don't look around to find people who are better than them. I'm better than a lot of the people around me. It's not, I'm, wor I'm worse than a lot of these other people around me. But good and bad does not matter at all. Okay, because all it takes is one sin and I deserve hell. And a matter of fact, I'm born as a sinner, so I'm born headed to hell. Okay, Adam and Eve sinned, so we have sin from the very beginning of our life. And we deserve hell from the moment we're born. When we deny those truths, then we have trouble with the very first part of salvation. I am a sinner. I deserve hell. I can't pay my price. Jesus came and paid that price for us. That's the gospel. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. And Jesus paid the debt that I owed and cannot pay. The sad thing is that there are a lot of churches out there that do not preach the gospel. Okay? They teach you that if you're basically good, you're going to be okay with God. Or they might give you the gospel, but they kind of whitewash it and don't really put it out strong and I'm not going to do that which consequently will make a lot of people not like me the people who come come all the time and listen to the word and believe the word of God they're going to like the message I give others who want this you know you're basically a good person all you got to do is do good things to go to heaven they're not going to like the fact that I say these certain things are sin okay they're not going to they're not going to like that I call thieves you know, sinners and uh, people that commit fornication and adultery, sinners. People that commit homosexuality, sinners. That are drunkards, God calls them sinners, I'm calling them sinners. That's going to offend a lot of people out there who don't want to hear that message. And so they will come along and they say, well, we don't like that pastor there because he's judgmental. And a lot of people don't want to hear the message and that's, that's between them and God. Our job my job as a teacher is to preach the gospel and teach the gospel to everybody. Our job as believers is to go out into the world and share the gospel. Does that mean everybody we share it with is going to listen to it? No, many of them aren't going to listen to it. But our job is to share the gospel. And the people who hear the gospel, it's between them and God and what they do with it. And this is why it's very easy to preach the gospel because all we do is give the gospel. If they don't like it, tough, it's not my problem. If they love it, that's great too. Then, then they respond. My job is just to give it. Paul said that he watered, uh, planted, Apollos watered, and, and Peter, Peter reaped the harvest. You know, and, it didn't, and it didn't matter because we all have a part in that. And sometimes our job is just to plant the seeds. And that's a hard job to do because you don't get to, when you plant seeds, you don't get to see the fruit. Some people just come along and they water and weed the, weed the garden. And they also don't see the fruit. And then somebody else comes along and they 
They get to pluck the fruit. <laughs> they didn't work very hard, but they just get to pluck the fruit. But the good news is that all get rewarded. All will get rewarded. Right, verse 14. And behold, you are risen in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men to argue, to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord of God of Israel. For if you turn away from him, you will yet again leave them in the wilderness, and you will, shall destroy the people, uh, all this people. So he's saying, I'm not letting you, basically saying, I'm not going to let you guys do this. You're not going to stand there and, and be disobedient and not come into the promised land because you will lead the people astray and they will go wander again to be destroyed. This is a pretty serious thing. These guys thinking, well, you know, hey, we're just happy. You know, this is, this is a nice looking land. We just want to stay here. And Moses is saying, no, you're not going to discourage the people. And you know, in churches, this happens a lot when, when they start moving forward into a new area with God. A lot of people will go, well, you know, we, we're, we're comfortable with what we've been doing. We don't want to go forward. We don't want to move. We, we don't want to change. And they start discouraging the people that are trying to follow and move forward. And this happens a lot. So the key for this is to not be one of those people that are discouraging the moving, moving of God. Because you will be judged by God in so doing. And you can easily discourage people because it's already hard to get people to get moving for God. And we all know that. It's hard sometimes to get moving for God. It's even harder to get a church to go forward to move with God sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then to have a whole bunch of naysayers, you know, uh, in some places they call them dreams, dream stealers, you know, that you, you want to go do something, everybody tells you you can't do it. Okay? This happens in churches all the time. We're going to go out and we're going to have a revival. We're going to knock on doors. We're going to evangelize. We're going we're to start home Bible studies and all these people going, oh, no, we can't do, we can't do that kind of stuff. That's not, you know, not good at all. Verse 16. And they came near to him, this is Moses, uh, they is the children of Reuben and Gad, and they said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and, and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until they have been brought them into their place, and their little ones shall dwell in the fen and our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return into our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance for we will not inherit with them on yonder side of Jordan or forward because our inheritance has fallen unto us in this side of the Jordan eastward. So the answer to that the Reubenites and Gadites give to Moses is well fine we'll just build cities we'll build pens for our cattle and the, the men 20 years up for the fighting force will go with the children of Israel across the Jordan <coughs> but we don't get any inheritance on that side because we have ours already. So it's going to be a good plan. You know, we're, not going to, we're going to send our fighting men with you. Our, our children, our, our, our wives, our cattle, will, they'll stay over here. Our young, our young kids will stay over here. And so it sounds like a great plan. The only problem with this plan, it's going to take years for the Jews to take all the land they're supposed to take in the promised land. And we're going to see a problem when we get into Joshua. The Reubenites and the Gadites eventually leave before that's taken because it's taken so long for, the, for them to conquer the Promised Land. 
and they go back home, and they're going to they're going to take the the curse that they were pronounced on them. So they don't know what they're what they are promising here. Okay, this is a very big promise they're doing, and this is one of the problems that we have. And remember, in Leviticus, we talked about when you make a vow to God, you keep it, even if it's to your hurt. And this is why we're told by by uh, Jesus and Paul both, let your yea be yea and your nay be yea, nay. You know, you don't need to swear, you don't need to promise. It's yes and no, but because we are people of our word through the scriptures, we keep what we say and we do what we say we're going to do. Because God is saying, when you make a promise, you fulfill it. And if you don't, the one who's going to hold you to that promise is God. Mm-hmm. So it's a very critical thing. Verse 20, And Moses said unto them, If you will do this thing, if you will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out the enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession. Okay, so he's saying, if you, if you are true to your word, then you will, you will be considered blessed. Okay? You, you'll, you'll have kept your word, you'll be guiltless. And this land will be yours. He says, we'll promise you this land because you've fulfilled. Verse 23, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. This is quite a statement. He goes, if you don't follow your word, you've sinned against the Lord. Now we've talked about this. David, when he confessed his sins in Psalm 53, he said, against you and you only have I sinned, O Lord. Okay? All sin ultimately is against God. Not, not an individual. Even if we're stealing or killing somebody, this sin ultimately isn't against them. The sin is against God because he's the one that set the rules. Now, we've hurt them, and we're going to have to give, you know, according to the law, we give them retribution, but the sin is against God. And in this last part, and be sure your sin will find you out. Have you ever tried to hide a sin from people? God always brings the sin out into the open. If we refuse to acknowledge our sin... God will bring it out. Always. Even for the lost world, he will bring it out. It may take longer because he's going to be more gracious to them, trying to give them enough rope to, to get to the end of it. But especially for us as Christians, our sins must be brought out in the open because God does not want darkness in our life. And the more well-known you are within the Christian community the more people will have to know your sin if you don't confess it. So for leaders, this is a big deal because God's going to say, I'm going to make sure if you're, not, if you're not going to confess your sin and repent, everybody is going to know your sin. Okay? And we see this in televangelists who try to get away with sins, and all of a sudden, their sin is revealed not just to their church, not just to their family, but to the entire nation and or world if they're that large. Mm. God reveals sin. And it's going to be in direct relationship to your 
how much authority and responsibility you have to people. God knows everything. He knows everything, and he's going to make sure it's brought out. Jesus said that it would be shouted from the housetops. That doesn't mean every sin, but if we confess our sins, he covers them, and they're forgiven. If we try to hide them, he's going to make sure they're revealed. Okay? Something, something important for us to keep in mind. Our sin will be revealed. That we will be seen. Verse 24, build your cities for your little ones and the folds for your sheep. Do that which you, has proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spake unto Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our cattle shall be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will pass over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle as my Lord says. This should sound familiar after we've been going through these books for so long. Every time God speaks to them, they go, yes, we're going to obey. And we can count the number of times they've obeyed on no hands. <laughs> They've always disobeyed. Every time they say, we're going to obey, they disobey. So having that pattern coming in here, you can expect that they're going to fail. And they do. And they do in the long run. They fail. Now, they do go over and they do battle and they battle for decades. But eventually, they, they come to the conclusions, hey, we've been doing this for a long time and a lot of these people aren't going to aren't trying to get their territory. And that was the truth in that statement. There were many of the tribes who just didn't want to take their, their land for whatever reason. They were afraid. They were just happy with what little, little possession they, were, they got. And so we're going to see that they finally give up. So in verse 28, So concerning them, Moses commanded Eliezer the priest and, Joseph, and Joshua the son of Nun and the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said unto them, if the children of Gad and the children of Reuben will pass with you over Jordan, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land shall be subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for possession. But if they will not go over with you armed, they shall, dwell, they shall have possession among you in the land of Canaan. And the children of Gad and, and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said unto your servants, so we will do. So we look at this. Why is Moses talking to Eliezer and Joshua? Does anybody remember? Because you're the head. Okay. The well, right now Moses is the, is the head. But Eliezer is the priest. He's the high priest now. But remember that Moses has been told he's not going into the promised land. So he is setting up with the leaders that are going to go into the promised land. Okay, here's the agreement I have with them. Okay? Moses already knows he's not going into the promised land. Yeah, that's right. Okay? Why? Because he struck the rock on the second time to bring water forth when God said, speak to it. He, blew, he messed up the type of Christ that was in the example. And God says, because of your anger and not following what I told you to do, you're not going to enter the pro promised land. And from that point on, God, every time Moses speaks, he says, it's your guys' fault that I'm not going to the promised land. He never acknowledged his sin. He's always going, it's your guys' fault. You made me angry. <laughs> he's, not, he's not saying, because I got angry, I'm not going to the promised land. He's saying, it's your guys' fault. He's not 
And this is something that we've been covering a lot. When we do not accept that it's our fault that we have sinned, we're never going to confess it. We're never going to get victory over it because we're always blaming somebody else. Moses did the same thing. Moses did the same thing. Verse 32, the, the children of Gad and, and Reuben go, We will pass over before the Lord into the land of Canaan, that the possession of our inheritance of this side of the Jordan may be ours. And Moses gave unto them, even the children of Gad, and to the children of Reuben, and into the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, I've always tried to figure out how the half-tribe of Manasseh got thrown into this, in this mix. Manasseh was a large tribe, so maybe they had people in their tribe that had been wanting this as well. But all of a sudden, we've been talking about Reuben and Gad, and all of a sudden, we got half the tribe of Manasseh thrown, in, thrown into living on the east side of the, the Jordan. The son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and the land and the cities thereof and the coast with the cities and the country around them. And the children of Gad built Dibon and Atoroth and Ariel, Ar-O-Ir, and Atroth and Shofan and Ya'azur and Jagbethah and Beth Nimrah and Beth Haran, fenced cities and folds for sheep. So we've got a lot of building going on. They're spending time, and you got to think about this. They're building cities that have walls around them, and they're building sheepfolds. These cities did not just go up in a short. Uh, ring-walled ring areas for your cattle and sheep to be put into with one entrance so that you could protect them. <coughs> these, th these walled cities did not go up in just months. Okay, if you look back in the history of them, these types of buildings took time, about a year or so to be built at least. So these are, they're, this is a time-consuming thing that they're sitting there waiting to go into the promised land. This is why I'm saying we're sitting around 30, 35, uh, 38, 39 years at this point. And the children of Reuben built Hespan and Elaale and Kirjamarim and Nebo and Baal Mi'an, the names being changed, and Shimma, and gave other names to the cities that they had built. So. They're not building all these cities from scratch. They're taking the cities that are already there and reinforcing them. Because remember, they've already conquered them. They've beat up the walls. They've beat up the cities. So it's going to take, and they built some new cities. And so this is repair work for a lot of it. But they're doing a good job because the fighting men are going to be gone. Who's going to be there to defend these cities? The young, the young teenage boys, basically. So, so there, there's a big thing going on here. And the children of Manasseh, the son uh, of Nechah, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and dis dispossessed the Amorite which were in it. And Moses gave Gilead unto Milcah, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt there. And Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took, a small, took the small towns therein and called them Havar-Jarir. And Nobath went and took Kenath and the village thereof and called it Nobath after his own name. So we see them getting ready to go. They're getting set up for their possession. And we see all of this going on, and Moses is saying, come into the land and you're going to be okay. Don't come into the land and you will forget about having your land over there. You're going to have possession on the other side of the Jordan. 
So we see all of this happening. But again, these people are rejecting the promise of God. You know, can you imagine you're right there on the promised land and you're saying, God, I don't want to go in. Mm-hmm. I'm, happy, I'm happy with living in the world. I'm happy with being in the world and, and having what, you, what, what the world gives me. I don't want to go into the land that you've promised. <laughs> the land flowing with milk and honey. Going in and doing what he wants you to do and being able to just say, God, I'm just happy being, being in the flesh. And the sad thing is there's lots of people that are that way. God, I'm happy just living in the flesh. Just leave me alone. I'm, I'm glad I'm going. I'm glad I'm saved, but don't bring me into the promised land. Don't challenge me to do spiritual things. I'm just happy being right where I'm at. And a lot of us will do that. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to look at your word. We ask that you bless us as we go out. Help us to seek you in all that we do and live according to what you would have us do. Lord, give us the desire to enter into the promised land, the the spiritual realm as opposed to the worldly realm. Lord, we ask that if anybody doesn't know you, that they will come to you realizing that they're a sinner and confess that, confess that they deserve punishment and confess that you're the only way to to be unsaved and, and accept you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.